quick disclaimer, there's some slightly stronger than usual violence this week. Not terrible, but I wanted to be on the safe side. Check out the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes, for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of the Knucker from English folklore, and we'll see how making dessert can literally save your life, and how, when picking a knight, maybe go with the one that isn't literally rusty. The creature this week is Bunny Man, the reason why you should drive away from someone throwing an axe at your car, other than, you know, someone throwing an axe at your car. This is Myths and Legends, episode 307, Pie Hard. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, we're telling the legend of the Knucker, from Lemonster in West Sussex, England. It's a legend, and it is super tied to a time and place, as we'll see as we go. It's set sometime in the late Middle Ages, and we'll jump in with two guys, both named Jim, having a few drinks, and talking about the big questions. Jim one took a deep swig of his ale. Hey, the pond out there. You ever wonder how deep it is? Jim two shrugged. Uh, not really. People said it was bottomless. Think about it, though. How could it be bottomless? Jim 2 shook his head again. What did Jim 1 mean? I mean, if it was bottomless, wouldn't all the water just fall out? Jim 2 said, yeah, that, that made sense. Never thought about it like that. Jim 1 shook his head. That's it? Just, oh, wow, never thought about it like that, brushing me off? Jim 2 said, look... He spent 12 hours farming that day. Feudalism was brutal. He just wanted to sit here and have a few drinks before he had to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. It wasn't that he didn't care about Jim 1, it's that he didn't care about the pond. And Jim 1 wanted to talk about it like three times a week. Both men went back to their drinks and, for a long bit, there was silence. I stole the bell from Magdalene's, Jim 1 said unprompted. What do you mean you stole the bell at Magdalene's? Jim 2 did a spit take. Literally that. There's zero ambiguity about what that sentence means, Jim 1 replied. Jim, why did you steal the bell? Jim 1 smiled. Because tonight was the night. He was going to do it. He was going to figure out how deep the knucker hole, the pond, was. He had a long, long rope and he was going to sink the bell into the pond and see how deep it was. Jim, too, said that was ridiculous. That bell was really heavy. Yep, Jim 1 smiled. You'll lose it in the pond. Jim 1 asked why Jim 2 thought he was telling him that. If he wanted to help. Jim 2 said he did not, but he also didn't want his friend to end up in a dungeon for stealing and then losing a church bell. So you'll come help me lower it. Jim 1's face lit up. Jim 2 said yes, sure. He drained his mug, and then the pair rose. When they made it to the door, though, 
they found a group of men standing in front of them. We heard you talking over there, the men said. Yeah? And? Jim one challenged. The men told Jim to save it. Jim stole the bell from Magdalene's. He was going to go out and see how deep the knucker hole was. Jim one said that that was some accusation. They should go wake up the constable if they were so confident. The men looked at each other. What? No, it, it wasn't like that. They wanted in. Jim's one and two looked at each other, then back at the men. The men said, yeah, they had lived there their whole lives. That pond was supposed to be bottomless. They could be the ones who figured out how deep it was. Jim one laughed. I know, right? So Jim one, Jim two, and about five other guys made their way to the pond. We're almost out of rope, a man at the back whisper yelled to Jim One. Jim One stood at the front, looking down at the inky surface of the pond at night. He rose, all right, he and Jim Two were going to go get some more rope. Hold on to that, Jim Two said to the man behind him. The man, in turn, looked to the man behind him and told him to hold on to that. He was taking a break. This went on down the line. And when Jim One told the men he would be back in about 10 minutes after he went home for a second rope, he and Jim Two looked at the men passing around the growler, the jug, the, the five men passing around the jug. Who's holding the rope? The men looked at each other. Oh. Jim One sighed. All right, well, that was unexpected. Luckily, he had a plan B. Plan B was pretty much plan A, but with a longer rope. Plan-wise, neither of them were all that great, but Jim One had been eagerly awaiting this night and wanted to see it through. How seven fairly inebriated men managed to steal a second bell from St. Mary Magdalene Church without raising any alarms is beyond me, but they got back there with a rope twice as long, and it still wasn't long enough. Jim One told the others to pass the end of it to him. And, one by one, they let go of the rope, until Jim's one and two were the last ones holding it. Jim one looked back and nodded, and Jim two let go. Jim one was now holding the weight of the bell, and he extended his arm toward the lake. Maybe this would do it, he thought. He couldn't live with himself if the next drunk guy got a rope a few feet longer, and Jim one missed it by that much. He would do all he could. Jim One dipped his arm up to the elbow, then the shoulder. Then a few feet down, he extended the rope until only his fingers held it. Then it slipped. Like that, the second rope and bell were gone. Maybe it really was bottomless. The men all decided that they never met each other, and they all went home early that night because they didn't want to hang for stealing two bells from a church and ran off in seven different directions. They were so eager to get away from the scene of one of the crimes that night that they didn't notice something. Bubbles. Bubbles breaking the surface of the pond. Deep below, eyes opened in the murky darkness. The bells careening down into the deep had awoken something. An ancient evil swam toward the surface.
There was shouting in the street. Jim woke up with a pounding headache as his wife shook him. Then he remembered the night before. He looked at her. She had already been out this morning? She was in tears. Something terrible had happened. He slowed her down first. It wasn't that bad. She looked at him in disgust. Second, he actually needed to level with her because if the heat came down, he'd need an alibi. He was kind of behind this. She recoiled in terror. He killed seven children? Jim One gasped. Whoa, 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 no. That was not him. He was talking about the stolen bells. What stolen bells, his wife asked. Jim said he would, don't worry about it, he would tell her later. What happened with the children? Last night, something tore through the town of Arendo, like literally tore the sides off houses and plucked people from within, devouring them whole. Those people, it turned out, were children. It did that to a few houses until it got its fill before flying off back into the night. It's the knucker, a gravelly voice called from the back of the room. Everyone in town had gathered in the pub to talk about what was going on. I'm sorry, the, the what? The Saxons called it the Nikor. In Iceland, they call it Niker. Some just call him Old Nick, the devil himself. The old man grumbled. The hall was silent now. It was centuries ago, back in the time of the Normans, the old man said. There was a giant, but not one of the bad ones. He protected the people. His name was Beavis. The people nodded in agreement. They knew of him. Also, this was serious, so they were just going to let it go that he was named Beavis. There was still a tower in the castle of Arendelle named after him. Legend had it that he could wade from Southampton to the Isle of Wight without getting his head wet. All those were just stories. Fairy tales. But so were dragons who rose from the water. Knuckers. No one knows its origin. Maybe it was a demon. Maybe the pond is so deep that it goes somewhere else. But in those times, like now, it rampaged. It rose from the water and tore into the castle town below Arendelle. It took people, livestock, anything it could get into, nearly burned the town to the ground with its fire breath. Beavis, the giant protector, fought the dragon for three days and nights before standing above the knucker hole. It drove the monster whence it came, and no one had heard from it since. Even Beavis passed in a legend. Now, it was obvious. Beavis failed to kill the knucker. It seemed the monster was merely slumbering, and something woke it from its endless sleep in the pond. Jim Two's eyes bulged. Jim One shook his head. Now, it's returned. The people turned to talk to one another. What could they do? How could they stop it? They turned back to the old man in the dark corner, but he was gone. Disappeared as mysteriously as he arrived, the people said. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still here. The old man shuffled back to the table, just got up to get a drink. Uh, no, he didn't know how to get rid of the dragon, though. Not unless they had another giant wandering around. The people looked to each other for help, but no one really knew what to do. One voice spoke up. Jim Polk, the baker, because the story needs more Jims. He said, well, 
if it was a dragon, like in the old stories, what if they found a knight? Like in the old stories, the people all looked at each other. Yeah, what made more sense than a knight slaying a dragon? But really, it had to be someone good. The fate of their town was on the line. It couldn't just be some guy. We'll meet, well, some guy, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Guy of Arendelle. Guy stood there and introduced himself. But, sir, Guy, he corrected himself. At your service. He, he corrected himself again. At your service if you've paid my fee. Up front, non-refundable. The people nodded. They took up a collection. A collection to not die from a dragon attack. It had been two more nights. Fourteen more dead. They found Guy on the first day, but it took them a couple days going back and forth with his agent to negotiate his rate. Yes, all right. At your service, Guy nodded. He would get ready. The people watched with a bit of skepticism as Guy argued with his middle-aged squire. Guy was in shape. Well, he was in a shape. His armor from the Crusades, several years earlier, was in a very different shape. And while the squire tried to get those two shapes to mesh, sprinkles of rust drifted to the dirt. Finally, oiled up and atop his horse, the people had to admit... In the right light, it was now after dusk, so the right light was virtually no light at all, Guy looked like something approaching what they thought a knight from the old stories might have looked like. Maybe. Just then, a scream arose from the castle town. It was time. The dragon was attacking. Guy lowered his visor, spurred his nag onward, and charged into the town. And the people of the town literally never saw someone die faster. And that was saying something when one of the main forms of entertainment in medieval England was publicly watching people die at executions. One minute he was charging, the next minute the shadow tearing into houses swallowed him whole, leaving only a couple of legs still riding atop his slowing horse, who was, you know, frankly happy for the break. The people had no idea what to do, but the story of one night's failure was like catnip. Knights began coming in from all over Sussex, then all over England, and the people of Lemonster stopped paying up front, which meant that they stopped paying entirely because all the knights, young and old, fresh or rusty, experienced or new, none of them survived the encounter with the Nucker. 
Luckily, night was more filling than civilian, so the people in the town were unscathed. But as they ran out of knights willing to take on the dragon, and living knights in general, they began to worry. Maybe there was no stopping it. Maybe it was a force of nature. The people of Liminster and those who lived in Arendelle, the town surrounding the castle not two and a half kilometers away, began to worry. Who would be next? The people began packing up to flee anywhere, anywhere they wouldn't be in danger of a dragon eating their children. One morning, after yet another attack, when no help was coming, the mayor of Arendelle called together an assembly. The people were organizing groups. They would travel together and leave before dusk. The people looked at each other mournfully. No one wanted to leave their homes, but they knew that there was no other option. No hope. So many knights had died trying to slay the beast who now stalked their streets at night with impunity. No one was coming to save them. Just then, Jim Polk, the baker, stood up next to the mayor. They could leave. Maybe they should leave. But Jim? Jim was staying. He was staying because he had a plan. And tonight, he would go confront the dragon. Tomorrow, the towns would be free. The people were divided. Half looked to Jim Polk with admiration and hope. The other half with incredulity. Jim Polk, the baker, was going to kill the dragon? The crowd strained to hear what Jim was saying to the mayor, but they watched the mayor listening with knitted brows, stroking his beard. He took a deep breath. You alone, they heard him ask Polk. Polk nodded. Okay, the mayor said, and turned to the town. There was a new plan. Anyone who wanted to leave could. Anyone who wanted to stay and fight for their homes, they needed to give Jim Polk whatever he asked for. Come nightfall, the oxen pulled the wagon. There's a saying that I think we've said on the podcast before. If your only tool is a hammer, every problem is a nail. If you're a baker, apparently every problem can be solved with pie. So, according to one of the more specific sources I found, Jim Polk made a pie. A pie so big, it had to be pulled by six white oxen. All morning and afternoon, people gathered ingredients or constructed an oven big enough to house the biggest pie in the world. While they were doing that, Jim Polk found the secret ingredients. The secret ingredients weren't like 11 herbs and spices. Well, maybe they were. Nightshade and fly agaric probably taste pretty spicy, but thankfully, I haven't tried them, and likely neither have you, because they are highly poisonous. Yeah, that was the plan. A pile of the most dangerous poisons in the world, mixed in and baked in the center of a blood... <sighs> of a buttery, flavory, oh, okay, baked in a buttery, crispy, no, baked in a buttery, flavory, that said flavory again, okay, Carissa, do you mind getting this one? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a whirl, um, baked in a buttery, flaky crust, ooh! <laughs> anyway, it just finished baking, and they managed to get it on the cart, reasoning that in the two and a half kilometer ride to the knucker hole, in the cool of the evening, it would have time to cool. 
Jim walked along behind it, the aroma dancing in the night air. He had done it. He couldn't smell the poison in the pie. The surface of the pond bubbled when Jim Polk slowed the wagon to a stop. It wasn't the dragon breathing. It was the pond boiling. It glowed in the darkness. Jim ran to the forest and stowed something in the trees. And by the time he made it back to the water's edge, two eyes opened, like those of a crocodile. Hi, I have something for you. Pie? Jim Polk said, revealing the giant, steaming pie behind him like he was on The Price is Right. The dragon's head rose from the water. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know if they did it in your time, when, whenever you were out eating people, but it's something we do now. It's really good. It's got meats and vegetables and milk. Oh my gosh, you probably never had milk that wasn't mixed in with the rest of the cow. You have to try it. We're in the village. We are super happy to make something like this for you every night if you stop, you know, eating our children. The water skittered and hissed across the dragon's nose, like drops on a pan. Jim recoiled as the serpentine body rose from the water. Its skin was fire red. Its teeth were rows and rows of razors, and it had two horns on its head and two tusks coming up from the bottom part of its mouth. It looked like a demon. A claw the size of Jim floated past the baker and found the pie. Digging deep, it pulled out a chunk. Jim watched, hopeful, but, you know, not obviously hopeful, as the dragon raised a clawful of pie to its gaping mouth before flinging it away into the forest. The dragon's eyes, that burned like fire, fixed on Jim Polk. Did this human think he was a fool? Polk's heart began to beat faster. He didn't know what the dragon was talking about. The dragon said that, well, maybe Jim was the fool because he didn't know what was in this pie, but he wasn't eating it. The dragon said he had slept for eons. But while the earth was still young, he was old. Did the human wonder why he only ate children? Polk didn't answer, and the dragon didn't care. It was because if the dragons ate the children, the adults could make more of them. That's all the humans were to the dragons. Cattle. The dragon saw the look of surprise on Jim Polk's face. Oh yes, dragons. Plural. There were others that still slept in that land. They were his brothers. He would wake them up, too, and together the brothers would feed. The ground shook as the dragon rose from the necker hole. His breath turned from steam to smoke. The dragon said tonight he would have the oxen. The dragon plucked the first two from the cart and chewed them, bones and all, in front of Polk. The other four tried to escape, but the dragon plucked them one by one, and they died bellowing in the dragon's mouth. The dragon talked with his mouth full, and Jim inched over to the pie. When the dragon went for the last two oxen, Jim Polk buried his own hands deep in the pie smearing what he could on the inside of his cloak. The poison was strong. One bite of it would kill something twice the dragon's size. Jim knew that he was going to die, but maybe his death could be worth it. I'm going to eat you now. It's nothing personal. How, how could it be? You mean nothing. And to show you how little I think of you and your people, 
Tonight, I'm going to destroy that town of yours, eat all the little ones while their parents watch, and then I'll burn them alive. That's thanks to you. That's what you did. The dragon burped, and fire chased a bit of ox intestine up. The dragon scooped it back into his mouth and licked his claws. And Jim laughed. The dragon looked down at the young man. What about him being eaten was funny. Jim Polk looked up at the dragon. Oh, nothing. That was terrifying. What was funny was the dragon just licked his claws. The dragon looked down at the remnant of pie that still clung to his claws. What what was in that pie? He winced and grabbed his side, doubling over. Polk barely had enough time to get out of the way before the dragon melted the cart and the giant pie with his breath, crying out in agony. It was only a coincidence, though, because Jim was already running for the forest. For what he had stashed there, he unwrapped the sword and ran back toward the knucker hole. The fire burned the foam on the edges of the dragon's jaws, and the monster writhed. He tried to look at Polk, climbing up his neck, but Flyagric is also a powerful hallucinogen, so the dragon only smacked himself. He only saw Jim in the moments before he died, when Jim loomed over him like a giant. What, what sort of knight are you? The dragon managed. I'm no knight. I'm a baker. Yippee pie brother Knucker, Jim said, and drove the sword down into the dragon's neck. The dragon's tail stopped writhing, and the mouth stopped howling. It was finished. The monster was dead. Jim hacked away at the neck for a few minutes, and once the head was free, Jim looped the rope around some teeth and the other side around his shoulders and began the walk back to town. We'll see Jim Polk get a hero's welcome, but that will, once again, be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The pub erupted when Jim knocked because, well, dragons don't knock. Jim smiled, exhausted, and showed everyone the dragon head. It was over. The monster, the knucker, was dead. The tavern owner just opened up the tap to whoever wanted it. Everyone was grateful to be alive. Jim Polk told 
everyone the story, the real story of how it went down, how he was almost eaten, how he was prepared to sacrifice his life. He even told everyone how the dragon made the final mistake. And that was the only reason Jim still lived. Jim finished with his ale, belched and laughed sheepishly, wiping his mouth with his hand. Then he froze. He wiped his mouth with his hand. The edges of his vision darkened as Jim Polk looked down on his hand with the pie filling dried and crusted on the outside after he had slathered his hands with it to hopefully poison the dragon. He tried to cry out, but pain stabbed at his side. When the pub looked back to him, fresh drink in hand, Jim was on the floor, dead. The Slayer Slab, Jim's one and two said, looking down at the stone. It had been a week. Polk had been buried as a hero, and one of the stone carvers in the village had made him his very own tomb, the Slayer Slab. You're welcome, Jim one shouted at the slab. Polk was buried with honors. If it wasn't for him, Polk would just be some baker. What do you mean if it wasn't for you? His wife asked him. Jim One's eyes grew wide. Uh, no reason. He and Jim too were going to go to the tavern. Hey, think someone should have carved Polk's name into the Slayer slab that now sits outside the church? Jim Two asked. Jim One laughed. What? Please, the guy saved the town. He is going to be remembered forever. He wouldn't be. The Slayer slab is a real thing found in St. Mary Magdalene Church in Leminster, in West Sussex. Jim, too, who actually didn't say that in the originals, but has a good point, was right. They should have put the Slayer's name on the gravestone. Whether it actually belonged to the person who actually killed a dragon in West Sussex is unknown. Though the legend in the area is very strong. And real quickly, different stories have different names, and it's either Jim Polk or Jim Puttock. I flipped a coin, so sorry, Jim Puddock, if it was you. Allegedly, the pub in the area, the one they all met in, is called the Six Bells, named for the fact that two of the bells are missing from St. Mary Magdalene's, the church itself being an 11th century Saxon structure. I've read that the church only has six bells, but I wasn't able to verify that. The Knucker Hole, the pond the dragon lived in, is also a real place. It's supposedly fenced off now to promote trout breeding, so I guess you can only see it through some bushes. From what I read, it doesn't freeze, maybe? Not sure how true that is, but if that's the case, it's either because a warm spring runs through, or another dragon lives at the bottom. Take your pick. Like I said, the region appears to have embraced the legend, up to and including the stained glass windows on St. Mary Magdalene Church, which depict the dragon slayer slaying the dragon in the most chill way possible by handing him a piece of pie. I posted a bunch of these pictures on the site if you want to go check them out. I will say, I did make a small change in the story today. There are a few different versions of the story, and one is just a straight dragon slaying, where a knight errant kills a dragon and wins the hand of the daughter of the King of Sussex. That's nice, but a little predictable. In this version, the one with the poison pie, 
The dragon, after some initial skepticism, did eat the pie after he ate the oxen. It comes down to a matter of quantity, but I wanted to have a little more tension in that scene. In every version, though, Jim dies. You probably don't need a reminder after the past few years we've had, but still, wash your hands before you eat. Especially if you've been handling poison dragon pie. Next week, Coyote makes his return to the podcast, and we see that the only thing that can trick a trickster are way too many tricksters. Coyote, Rabbit Boy, Hermes, it's a trickster episode next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's also a membership thing. For less than the price of 10 dead preserved crayfish, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that might be, you know, out there, but aren't as cray as 10 crayfish. That was bad. I'm sorry. I'm not a copywriter. You, you probably shouldn't get a membership. It's just more of stuff like that. If you'd like to subject yourself to more terrible puns with the occasional sprinkling of substance, check out mythpodcast.com membership or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. The creature this time is Bunny Man from Fairfax County, Virginia, in Washington, D.C. and parts of Maryland, all in the United States. Now, Bunny Man is both not what he sounds like and also exactly what he sounds like. He's not a man-sized bunny, but a man who dresses up like a bunny and also murders. Now, according to such reputable sources as teenagers in the 1970s, in 1904, there was a bus full of violent inmates that, after people in the area decided that they didn't want an asylum in their backyard, were being taken somewhere else. In one of those buses that were super common on the road in 1904. Their plans were significantly derailed when the prison bus crashed and everyone aboard died. All but one, Douglas Griffin. A manhunt was conducted, but it was concluded that he got away and everyone was, I guess, okay with that. I mean, at least he wasn't hanging around in the woods being creepy. Or was he? He was. People started to notice rabbits strung up on trees and train overpasses because that's something that you notice. They also started to notice murders. Now, there are no records of a bunch of kids being murdered on Halloween night in the early 1900s. Not saying that it didn't happen, but I read a lot of old newspapers for Scoundrel, and there is a surprisingly low bar for stuff that made the paper in those days, like a doctor visiting town was in the paper. Anyway, those murders didn't make the paper. But an archivist looked into whether or not the Bunny Man existed on behalf of the Fairfax County government because they were tired of people asking if the Bunny Man existed. Anyway, I, this is a tangent, but a surprising number of brutal murders happened in that area. I linked the source. None of them involved men dressing up in a bunny suit made out of bunny pelts. Brian Conley, the archivist, traced the Bunny Man urban legend back to an incident in the 1970s when a couple was parked in a driveway near the overpass by which the Bunny Man lurked and someone in light-colored clothing threw an axe at their car. And no joke, this actually happened. He apparently yelled, You're on private property and I have your tag number. You know, like a bunny would yell. On retellings, the white clothes were turned into a bunny costume. And a few newspaper reports ran with it. That out there in the woods, there's an axe-wielding man dressed like a bunny. There did seem to be a person out there with an axe, harassing people for trespassing, but they never found out who he was. You see, urban sprawl was overtaking the area, and the archivist concluded that, 
in the 60s and 70s, people were watching farmland and forest give way to subdivisions and shopping centers. The changing landscape can bring out some feelings that some people, I guess, dealt with by throwing axes at strangers' cars. Though the attacks and the sightings dwindled, the Bunny Man brand only grew. There's Bunny Man merch, beer, and if a person dressing up like a bunny murdering teens sounds like the most bottom-of-the-barrel, low-budget horror movie concept ever, well, you'd be right. There are four of them. I've not seen them. You can probably look up the trailer on YouTube. You can look up the trailer on YouTube if you want. They look really gross and terrible. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. What is the line? (laughs) I'm serious. Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.